All right, good morning, everybody. Good to have you. See some new, or new faces, some faces back in town. Welcome. I hope you all feel just like absolutely at home. Take a deep breath. Yes, well, we're super thankful you're here. If you're, you know, it's just so important to say, I think when I came as a visitor here years ago, um, I didn't necessarily feel like an outsider, but I always felt like I was observing something a little bit, you know, but half of our church, more than half of our church is from out of town. So that means you're a big part of the place. All right. So be, be at home, feel, feel welcome, enjoy, and just uh, settle in. And thanks guys. It's always amazing when Lisa prays, it's like, well, that's what I should have said in the message. You know, <laughs> she always does that. Um, what a, it's such a treasure to have that. Uh, some of you have noticed that in Crested Butte, there are certain ways of doing things that are just only Crested Butte. You know, it's just a different kind of place. That's what, part of the reason that we love it. Like, one of those things is the, like, you can see a guy, he's wearing, a, like, a $300 Patagonia puffy and some just ragged Carhartt pants. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's going on? Who, who made that a thing? And why do you, anyway, that's, that's a crest. Maybe that happens other places, but here, and being dirty, you know, it's cool to be dirty in your Carhartts with your really nice jacket. I, I'm still trying to get in touch with what that means, but... Last week, I brought up this idea. I wanted to see if you guys, had, the people who were here, had an idea about um, what to call this, because I didn't have one. I do now. Um, and this is that uh, special thing only in Crested Butte where people drive about four and a half miles under the speed limit. Only certain people on 135 between Gunnison and, and, uh, oh, and Crested Butte. So you've been stuck behind them. You might be one of them. I don't know. And that's fine. Uh, no problem. But uh, you, I know all of you know what I'm talking about. There's sort of, it's, not, it's not just I'm driving because I'm relaxing. It's like, this is the style of driving in Crested Butte. So they're you know, doing that 51 and a third. And uh, so I, I asked, you know, what do you call that? I got a couple of funny responses. Somebody actually got stuck behind somebody like that going back to Gunnison last Sunday. Um, and they were, the wife was texting me. This is hilarious. Um, no, uh, thank you, Aaron. Uh, Kelly, she, sent, she said, oh, I know what that is. That's called getting subied. <laughs> because it's always a Subaru. <laughs> now, I know you're not going 51 and a half. I've seen you drive. <laughs> so anyway, and now I feel so much better. I know what it is. I can say, oh, I'm totally getting subied on my way down. I'm, in, I'm supposed to meet somebody, but I'm getting subied. So anyway, thank you, Aaron. There's a huge prize for you on the way out. By the way, grab your uh, Obi Joyful stickers on the way out um, and put them on your cars and other places. Uh, yeah, so we're in a series uh, about halfway through that we're, we're looking at the book of John, just the first few chapters of the book of John. And we've called it So That You May Believe because that's the idea that John is trying to communicate throughout the whole book. He wants the readers, us and anyone from that generation forward, to look at the stories of these narratives, these interactions that Jesus has and go, you know what? This helps me believe. I'm encouraged in my faith because I see these things happening. So uh, we've looked at several of those. Today, we're going to look at one of the famous ones, and you've all heard messages if you've been... If you're, if you're here this early at 8.30, I figure you're probably a, a believer. You might not be, and you're welcome if you're not, totally. Uh, John wants people that have not 
come to cross the line of faith to read these stories and say, yes, I understand. And he wants those of us who are believers to read these stories and go, my faith is strengthened. I feel more deeply connected to who Jesus is and to my relationship with God through him because of this. Uh, Today, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the one that John shares with us. And uh, so it's in John 6. So if you want to turn there, we read from the ESV here. And here, here's the idea that I'd like to get across to you and ask you to think about. Um, uh, and I think John is, is trying to communicate this. And, and that is, don't miss the real, the authentic Jesus, who he really is and what he is about because of what your expectations are, because of what you want, because of what I want. I read certain things into what I, what I hear in the Bible, things that I ask for, things I interact with Jesus around. I have certain expectations that he is going to be a certain way or respond a certain way, and I'm making him into something that he may not be. And that's what happens in this whole story of the feeding of the 5,000. They have expectations, and they're not bad, but they're missing it. And I, I don't want us to miss who Jesus is because we have expectations that we've built in or have been built into us. And that's why John's gospel is so great. It just very authentically shows us who Jesus is. So we, we're not going to mistake him or want him to be, we may want him to be something else, but he is, it's going to be who he is that we hear and that we see. Uh, so let's, um, let's read the passage. It's kind of a long one. Uh, 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and and about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to all who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that n- nothing may be lost. So they, get, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So three principles that I want to encourage you to see in this passage that are unfolded before us that will help us, I think, look to the real Jesus, to see him authentically and not... uh, place our own expectations on him. One is to look for Jesus. One is to look to Jesus. And the other one is to lift up Jesus. Look for, 
to and lift him up. Yes. Uh, now, this idea of looking for Jesus, I, I probably should say, I, when, I, when I say that out loud, I emphasize the word for. Look for Jesus. Look, look for, but that almost sounds like well, he's lost or we can't find him. That's not what I mean. I think the emphasis is probably on the look for Jesus. Do you see the difference there? Look for Jesus. We need to look for who he is. We're, that is what we're after. Not anything peripheral to that. And, and that will inform everything else. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I took a, a group to go to Glacier and Yellowstone and the Tetons, which is a group of like 12 or 13, and uh, some high school kids in there. And so uh, we went up, and one of the kids that came, his name was Mark, and he was, I would call him a gamer, not an outdoorsman, okay? So you sort of picture this, and... Uh, well, it turns out that he had a special gift, and, and that was spotting wildlife. Like, we, were, we really wanted to see wildlife because we were from Dallas, Texas. Like, wildlife in Dallas, Texas, like fire ants <laughs> and, like, dead armadillos and stuff like that, like nocturnal things that get hit. Um, or, like, if you're from the Dallas area, you know, like Deep Ellum, that's wildlife. You, you don't... So it's, we're looking for actual animals in the wild, and what was crazy, we'd be sitting around the campfire like at night and get, getting ready to go to bed. And he'd be like, did y'all see those bears? And we're like, what are you talking about? We, you know, he didn't even say anything. He said, you didn't see the bears? So then we started to listen to him. And I remember this particular time we were, he saw all kinds of wildlife and we'd miss it. But um, we were in the Tetons at this point and down at by Jenny Lake. Some of y'all have been there. And we're looking, we're at the picnic site over by there and looking up at the mountains and uh, we're all looking, we're looking for wildlife. And he goes, you guys see the elk up there? And we're like, nope. All of us, like all 10 of us are looking at, at it. And it's not that big of an area. And he goes, well, they're right. If you just go up from that big boulder and turn left, and, and there they are. And he just had an amazing way of seeing things that we just couldn't find. See, this happens with us, with Jesus and with the Bible when we go. We want to see things in him or hear things from him that encourage the behavior that we're already a part of. That's just what we do. We want Jesus to check the box for us. We, we rarely, you know, I always try to include in my prayer, but whatever it is, God, that you want. And I'm not sure I always mean that. I'm always, I'm always wanting, and, and there's nothing wrong with bringing to him the things that we desire. But we have this, uh, we want to excuse ourselves. We want a certain thing. And so we aim for that. And nothing else is going to make us happy. This is, this is that thing where then we miss who he is because we're looking at something else. Look at, uh, at the passage. If you look at just chap- at the verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So something really important happens before he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's after, if you have a, like one of those red letter versions of the Bible or you're looking at one, it's like a bunch of red letters because Jesus is going off. He is having, he's giving a, a pretty harsh message to the religious leaders of the day. And he's just, he's really laying it on them. And this is one of the things about John I think is interesting when he reports things. He just says it exactly like it is. Jesus says some hard things and he, and he offends some people. That's the real Jesus. He's not always uh, soft and... and uh, yeah, that's not always who he is. Uh, look, uh, if I could summarize that message, uh, Jesus is, is saying, you looked 
in the, in the Bible, in your Hebrew scripture, and you found what you wanted to see, but you didn't find me. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think... Okay, you guys got to listen to this. See if it, it resonates with you. You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That's the thing where I go to God, I look in his word and I want what I want there. You refuse, and it's so, it, it, the more I thought about this, the less I wanted to think about it. Uh, rather, the whole scripture is a story of reconciliation. It's the story of the arrival of the Messiah. And they were looking for things that were different. What they wanted, what those people wanted, is they wanted to, to create a scorecard so that they could please God. And they could check off all the boxes and make everything right. And if they did those things, they would please him and then their way would be had. Or that, that would be how they would be engaged with God. And Jesus says, That's, you're totally missing it. It's not about following a bunch of rules. It's not a spiritual scorecard. And unfortunately, and I'm not going to lay the blame on us, uh, this church, but the church itself over the generations has done the exact same thing. Moved away from a relationship with Jesus into rules about how we follow him. Because what we want to do is, and we talked about this last week, we want to separate ourselves, right? We separate ourselves by wearing $300 puffy and dirty Carhartt jeans. By driving a certain way, we do all kinds of things to, uh, to, sit, to isolate and make ourselves unique. And so we're definitely guilty of that in the church. Let me give you an example. It, denominations. Now, when non-believers look at denominations, what do they see? Unity? No. Now, I'm not saying denominations are bad. There are a lot of good reasons that there are different denominations. But the end result of us separating ourselves even from one another, not just from people who are um, not righteous, which sounds a lot like the religious leaders of those days, is that we have made it confusing for people to see Jesus because what they see is division. What they see is separation. And we've looked in the Bible and said, this is what's good, so this is the way I ought to be. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. The, re- the thing is that the person that we're following was actually in the flesh with the culture living with the people, engaging with them. And so I, I think that needs to be on our minds, is how we have separated ourselves, and we continue to. We, we do it automatically. It's so important we don't do it as a church, as believers, when people are looking at us to see Jesus. So, uh, look... Oh, and let, me, let me throw out one more thought I just noticed I had in my notes here. Uh, I wanted to, to make sure everybody knows one of the things we do here, and we've done last year, we're going to do it this year, is we sponsor the Alpenglow concert over there at the, at the um, Center for the Arts. And so there's going to be a big, like, OB Joyful uh, logo up there, and then there's going to be, like, Soma or somebody like that. <laughs> okay. So... Um, if the church says we can't be a part of that, what are we, what are we saying? And now nobody's going to look up there and be like sad that the church isn't up there. But when we engage with the town on th- in things that are good, um, we're, we are communicating that same kind of idea of Jesus integrating into the culture and loving the people where they were 
not expecting them to change first. That's why that's there. If somebody asks you, or you're wondering, hopefully you'll just drive into town and see our, our logo over there and go, yes. Um, we need to be careful not to separate ourselves, but to engage with love like Jesus did. So the first point, look for Jesus. Look for what he's really about. Look for him, not what we want. Be open to what he will reveal to you about who he is. Okay, look to him. Look to Jesus. Uh, And the reason I I said that is that one of the main themes in this story is that we like to look to do life and meet our needs and fix our problems on our own. That's usually our first recourse. How can I fix this? What do I do? How... What's my next step? What do, how do I fix this? And the, the disciples did this uh, pretty well. And here's a great example of it. So here in verse 5, Jesus says, uh, Lifting up his eyes, then he saw the large crowd that was coming towards him. And he said to Philip, Where are we going to buy the bread so that these people can eat? And he said that to test him, for he knew what he would do. So Philip was actually from a town that was nearby. So he actually knew what the markets were all about. And so Jesus could say, hey, you know, can you tell me what store to go get the bread at? Well, uh, there was no grocery store. You didn't just go pick something up in that kind of place. And it's several miles away to the town. So uh, there's a, there are some res- resourcing problems that they're facing. And when I read that, it made me think of a trip. I was in Africa with some, uh, some friends, and we were in, the, in the, what they call the bush in a really remote town. And uh, the only time you could get bread was in the morning. And you could get a lot of it. You get all you wanted, but you had to buy it in the morning. If you didn't, it was gone. They don't have stores with the stuff on the shelves for you to go in and get what, you know, seed bread or not seed bread or organic bread or whatever it is that we like to have. And so uh, uh, I remember uh, I was shocked by the things we, we, I remember saying to one of our hosts, the woman who was hosting us, um, well, you know, we could just eat peanut butter. We'd be fine. You don't have to go to any lengths for us at all. Um, then she comes back and brings us peanut butter and jelly. She said, yeah, we spent all morning making peanut butter. It's like, oh, shoot. Okay. Okay. So be careful what you ask for. Uh, and, then, and then they dropped off a, uh, one morning they, they hired a bush meat uh, hunter to bring a gazelle. So they dropped off this gazelle. And you can only get it at a certain time. You had to make all the plans. And the gazelle shows up. It's, you know, just laying on the ground. And uh, the, the thing is they don't waste and in this story, even they don't waste. They didn't waste a thing. And I have to say, I was pretty grossed out um, by that because one of the, tr- the things that the men do is they eat what's inside the intestines there. Um, yeah, I didn't take part. Um, but they don't waste a, any part of, that, of the animal or anything. But there's a certain way that you go about accessing and resourcing these things. So the question was pretty valid for Jesus to ask. Where are we going to get this? How's this going to work? Well, Philip just said, hey, you know what, Jesus? We can't do it. We don't have any money. And plus, it costs like 200 whatever denarii were that to, to actually even get them just a little bit of food. It's just too expensive. And I think he was justified. I mean, that's Jesus asked him. He said, we don't have enough money. It's too much. There's nothing we can do. And some of you are chefs here in this room, you're caterers, some of you have catered some things. If you can imagine catering an all-you-can-eat buffet in the wilderness, uh, in the spur of the moment, with no facilities, for 5,000 people plus, you know, 
That's pretty tough. And you know, it might be at least $15 a person to do an all-you-can-eat, right? What do you think, Tiffany? 15 25 for barbecue, 30 for all you can eat. So uh, 15 is $75,000. I just did the math. Uh, CC's could cater it for something like uh, $5,000, right? But in any case, it was a lot more than they had to offer. So this was something that was not possible. There was uh, then, then it shows Andrew's answer. Andrew and John says, hey, by the way, Andrew is the brother of Peter. So really, he should have a pretty spiritual answer, right? Andrew's answer, I wonder, might be a little bit sarcastic because and we don't like to think of people being Jesus followers, being sarcastic towards him. But I, I wonder, you know, if you really read it like it might have been, like uh, Philip says, um, there's just no way we don't have enough money. And then Andrew says, well, there's this kid and he has a couple of loaves and a fish. You know, he wasn't really suggesting that, we, that they use the fish, right? That wasn't what he was probably doing. And, uh, you know, we turn to humanly available resources first to see how to meet the situations that we're in, from our own financial situations to situations with family and, and relationships and everything that happens. Um, is I, when I look back, though, in life, although there have been many disappointments, uh, I see how God has provided in his own way, in his timing. Um, I look back, even just to give you an example from the church, we had just a couple years ago, we had just like 10 people working with our children's program. Now there's 36 you know, right now, the beginning of the summer, that's a lot of people. That's a mul- many multiples of, of eight or 10, right? Um, but we didn't know how that was ever going to happen when we looked at how many people we needed. But God comes through. And now we're looking at an expansion project here to actually fit everyone that comes in the summer. And uh, that, the cost of that, anybody built anything in Crested Butte lately? Um, you know, even with the resources and friendships that we have is still really pricey. And so, but what's been really cool is our team, our expansion team, is looking at this stuff and looking at the prices, and they're like, God's going to come through. We just know God is going to take. And it's been wonderful that they're not just saying, well, uh, these, are, these are the exact dollars that consultants say that we can raise. They're saying, no, this is what God needs to have. And we were following him, and so he will provide. And it's just been a refreshing place to be. It sounds like we skipped over the disciples' look for human resources I love how Jesus replies to these guys. He says, uh, he says well, um, you guys don't see where this is going to come from, but just have everybody sit down, right? That's the next thing he says. Just have them sit down. And John tells us, well, it was a grassy place, so it was going to be comfortable. Basically, he's saying, hey, I got this. Uh, and when they finish feeding the people, they clean up, and they have 12 baskets of food, Right? Who doesn't want that kind of return on investment? Okay, and they looked around and they said, there's no way we can do this. And what was left over from the all-you-can-eat service was 12 baskets, 12 times what they had originally started with. But the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, were saying, well, it's too expensive, and I don't know how this could possibly work out because the only thing we have is one basket of food. 
So I, I guess the question would be, do you, do you have a situation that is overwhelming to you, that you cannot handle, that's beyond what you know how to deal with? I think this is a beautiful story of taking a different road than even the disciples did. But being able to forgive ourselves for being like them. Because Jesus, he, he doesn't always answer the way we want, but he, he will say, sit down in the grass, I got this. I got this. So, uh, look to Jesus. Look for Jesus and look to Jesus. And then finally, lift up Jesus. See, Jesus is over all things. So we might as well acknowledge that in the first place. He's the creator king. He is the one who put us where we are. He has done all things right. He will make all things right. He is in charge. If, if we don't understand that or in our hearts and minds put him where he is, then we are missing it. We are missing him because he is the creator king. He is over all things. Look at 14. Uh, when the people saw the sign that he had, the signs that he had done, this feeding, they said, this is indeed the prophet or the Messiah who has come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, they had the right idea. They wanted to make him king. That's exactly what I just said. I think that's exactly what we're supposed to do, make him king. And they, and they did it because, they were saying that just because of something he did at a picnic. That's probably not the best reason to make somebody your king, but they had the right idea, and they were desperate as well. Did you notice at the beginning it says that the Sea of Galilee was, had been renamed the Sea of Tiberias? Now, to, how offensive was that to them? That the Romans had not only taken over, were taxing them, but they'd renamed some of the most iconic parts of their geography. And even to this day, the, the city of Tiberias... The city of Tiberias is right in the in the little uh, part of that part that juts out into the uh, Sea of Galilee. They were desperate for change. They desperately needed Jesus to do something for them, and they were looking for an answer. And they wanted that answer then. They wanted an immediate change, and they needed something good. They wanted him to do right. And I had to ask myself, how often do I want an immediate answer, everything fixed right now? And I'm going to do what it takes. I want this fixed. I am incapable of living in tension. If I was okay with a little bit of tension and just taking it, Jesus continuing for him to be king, things might be okay, might work out. In fact, I even get angry and frustrated and my faith suffers when I don't get my way. Yeah, if you, and I hear this from people. They're like, if God, if God doesn't show up the way I want him to, that means he doesn't love me. Well, that's trying to make Jesus be who we want him to be and do only, it, 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 it excludes everything from his, possible, from his possible answers. And that's like saying, well, the only thing we have is this little basket of food. When he has infinitely more than that. Claire was reading uh, the Psalms this week and she read through one that was, uh, I, uh, it was in the 70s, and I can't remember which one, but it's a, a lament where the psalmist is saying, God, where are you? You have deserted me. People hate me. Like they hate me. 
What's wrong with my life? When are you coming back? I can't find you. And, and she said, you know, Scott, I, I'm thinking, why, uh, why did I think that I was exempt from being like the psalmist? Why, why would I think that? I always read the, the Psalms of Lament and look at the hope part where he come, the psalmist comes back around and says, but God, you're good. But, you know, there are times where we cry out and we say, God, where are you? This is what I need. People hate me. I am suffering. And they're in that space. We're in that space. Perhaps it's okay to be in the place that the psalmist was. Perhaps it's okay. So here, here's my uh, application of this. We're, we're not going to have Jesus as a physical political ruler, but he can be the king of you, and he can be the king of me. And he will make things right. But right may not be exactly what we think right is. He may do it a completely different way. But we can make him our king. So let me, let me conclude with this. Uh, you notice at the end of the, the, the passage, it says in Jesus saw that they were going to make him king. There was going to be a political uprising that probably wasn't going to go real well with the Romans. So he, he escapes, he, sleep, he gets away from the crowds of people, and he goes up by himself on the mountain. And y'all, if, if, you're, if you moved here, if you're vacationing here, there is really no excuse not to get alone with God on the mountain. We have the most incredible example ever of, the, of our king, and that's what he did. When things were hard, when he was being misunderstood, when it wasn't going the way he knew it should go, he escaped to be with God alone, without his cell phone. And he went up there and he got refreshed and he got recharged and he hung out with God, with his father. Um, Long enough, I think, for us to let the armor of survival, you know, drop off. Take a deep breath up there with him. And then and when we're there, maybe, you know, you could read this passage, but look for Jesus and look to Jesus and lift up Jesus. Be a good practice for us if we're there. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the friendships, for a chance to just uh, look at your word together and sing and think about you and acknowledge who you are how you are above us. Lord, may you be our king. May our belief, our faith be encouraged by what we learn from John about your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. You guys have a wonderful afternoon.